When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The following podcast contains explicit language. Tell Mr. Trump you want to meet him. I love you, Trump. <laughs> Nobody use any racial slurs. Nobody call me the N-word. It's microaggressions. He does not support Mexicans, not Jews, not Muslims, not Blacks, no one but his own kind. The rich. When Trump says we'll lose our country, that's not just a, I mean, maybe he's being a little extreme. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man Colin Powell calls a disgrace, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So William Empson, the British poet and literary critic from the 1930s, wrote a famous book called Seven Types of Ambiguity. And I was thinking about it over the weekend and it occurred to me that Donald Trump suffers from seven types of insecurity. And they're pretty specific. The first is outer borough insecurity. This is a kind of status anxiety. Trump's a guy who grew up in Queens and didn't get away until he was 25. He thinks Manhattanites look down on him for that reason. So he's determined not to build or do any business outside of Manhattan. The second type is son of a rich dad insecurity. Trump's incredibly sensitive about inheriting his wealth and his start in business. He's desperate to prove that he really made it on his own and that he's bigger and better than his father ever could have been. The third is Ivy League insecurity. Trump is always telling us that he's really smart, that he has a really high IQ, and that he went to Wharton, which he says is really prestigious. He was only an undergraduate at Penn, not a graduate business student at Wharton, and he got in with help from a friend of the family in the admissions office. If Trump were really secure about his intellect, why would he be working so hard to convince us he has a good one? Trump's sexual insecurity is number four. What kind of man has to surround himself with beauty contestants and models all the time and tell us he has no problems with his wangdoodle? A man who's putting on a show. A man who harbors doubts about his own masculinity. And did I mention his hair? Number five is his taste insecurity. Trump's right to be insecure about it. He has the taste of a Kazakh oligarch on a three-day bender. And the more insecure he gets about whether it's really classy, the more glitz he has to throw at us and put on display. Number six is his ratings insecurity. Trump's always bragging about how his shows draw huge ratings and his books are huge bestsellers. He said The Art of the Deal was the biggest business bestseller of all time and sold over a million copies. In reality, it's not even in the top five and it sold nowhere near a million copies. The 15 other books published under Trump's name, which he definitely didn't write and may or may not have read, have hardly sold at all. 
The Apprentice was a hit the first season and went into slow decline thereafter. Number seven is his net worth insecurity. Trump sued the journalist Tim O'Brien for saying he was only worth about $150 million several years ago. He's constantly complaining about his ranking on the Forbes 400 that it should be higher. And when Trump participated in a celebrity roast, he said the one topic that was off-limit wasn't how short his fingers were or his family. It was his net worth. Okay, maybe there are more than seven, but that's enough for now. My guest today bears some possible responsibility for Trump's decision to run for president this year. He's McKay Coppins of BuzzFeed. I'll be back with him right after we do the tweets. The seriously failing New York Times, despite so much winning and poll numbers that will soon put me in first place, only writes dishonest hits. The Republican Party needs strong and committed leaders, not weak people such as Jeff Flake, if it is going to stop illegal immigration. No one has worse judgment than Hillary Clinton. Corruption and devastation follows wherever she goes. Dummy writer Tony Schwartz, who wanted to do a second book with me for years, I said no, is now a hostile basket case who feels jilted. I haven't seen Tony Schwartz in many years. He hardly knows me. Never liked his style. Super limp. Crooked eight supporter. Irrelevant dope. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My guest today is one of my favorite reporters covering Trump. He's McKay Coppins from BuzzFeed. McKay, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you have the unusual distinction that some people think you provoke Trump into running for president. How'd that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Well, in early 2014, I wrote a profile of Donald Trump. Uh, I was supposed to interview him on his flight uh, from New Hampshire down to New York City. And uh, there was a blizzard in New York, and he decided to reroute the plane. And there were a million other tiny accidents that led to me uh, actually spending two days at Mar-a-Lago with him. You know, it was just a weird situation. I was stuck inside his, you know, bubble for a, for a couple of days, and I, I left and wrote this profile of him, wherein I predicted quite confidently that he would never actually run for political office because he had been kind of flirting with it as a way to generate publicity for 25 years, and he kind of had this very desperate uh, kind of sad vibe that I got from him, and I kind of tried to illustrate that in the piece, and it really got under his skin, and he. Uh, 
you know, and he ran for president. <laughs> yeah, then he ran for president. I don't think, just for the record, I don't think that I was the single reason he ran for president. But I do think that what I was channeling this whole kind of idea that that was it existed in throughout the media and throughout the political class that he was a joke uh, was something that really did drive him to run eventually. And you said you said Mar-a-Lago wasn't classy. I mean, you basically <laughs> yeah, you right. pushed all his buttons in one place. I mean, like if if you had written a piece to try to provoke him into running for president, that that was it. <laughs> well, it's funny because after so he started this whole flame war with me after the in twenty fourteen after that piece came out, and I didn't really I'd always wondered what it was that actually set him off, what got under his skin. And then years later, just actually this recent uh, in July, just a couple months ago, I wrote a bit. I revisited that profile in another big piece, and I talked to people who were in his inner circle at the time, and they told me the single thing that most bothered him was my description of Mar-a-Lago, which I think I compared it to a a slightly dated hotel, which is like even like a pretty gentle jab. But it turns out, and and this actually I do think is important. I didn't realize this at the time, but as I, I did all this research, I found out that he actually, his taste and, and kind of aesthetic for Mar-a-Lago had been a very sore subject for him for decades, ever since he bought the place in Palm Beach and kind of all the upper crust elites in Palm Beach were scoffing at him and ridiculing him. So I had unintentionally kind of pressed this button uh, of his that that really set him off because he's insecure about his taste, his class status, his right. you know his being a guy from Queens. As I was just talking about in the intro to the show, and revenge is like a huge thing he believes in and pursues. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you could actually argue, and that's what I kind of wrote in this uh, this most recent piece in July that that his whole career has kind of been a continual series of acts of revenge against people who he feels have snubbed him or slighted him or, uh, you know, exiled him in some way or another. Um, that he really is somebody who, at least in terms of, at least as far as I can tell, somebody who is driven by a deeply felt status anxiety that he can never quite get over. Um, McKay, let's talk about Donald Trump's health. So at the moment, I believe he has recorded a program with Dr. Oz in which he has done some version of talking about his uh, his uh, test results and last exam with Dr. Spichemin. I mean, Dr. Bornstein. <laughs> and they're going to air this thing, what, on Friday? It seems in a, in a bizarre year, it seems possibly the most bizarre thing that's happened yet to go on a, like, you know, Oprah-derived <laughs> talk show to make claims about your exam with this, like, weirdo doctor. It's kind of like exactly what you would have predicted a Donald Trump presidential candidacy would look like <laughs> in your mind, like if you were just, like, imagining it, right? I think that the thing with this is that, you know, we've already we've seen some reporting from audience members who were there, and we saw that he, like, handed over a couple letters from his doctor and from a hospital to Dr. Oz to, to, to like, review the thing is, uh, the the thing that's not funny about this is that he has he and his surrogates and his campaign have made a relentless issue of Hillary Clinton's health. Have you know, kind of viciously raised every rumor you could possibly imagine about Hillary Clinton's health, uh, and said that it, it could be disqualifying. Right, that it's that important, and, and then to just this farcical performance of going on. Dr. Oz's show to talk about his health. I mean, it's just so, it's so ludicrous that it's like, 
you know, you can laugh at it or cry or grit your teeth, but I mean, this is not a serious thing. I mean, if he wants to make an issue of health, I think that he should actually release real medical records, which he his campaign has so far refused to do. We're in some weird territory here, though. I and mean, this this Doctor Oz show, which I can't wait to see, could actually turn into an infomercial, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like they may start selling some kind of supplements on the air. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's actually the perfect setup for him to release like Trump vitamins, right? <laughs> <laughs> which he had. He had Trump vitamins. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't even know that. I can't even come up with like an imaginary uh, product of Trump. Why do you think he's already. in? Why do you think he's the healthiest person ever to run for president since George Washington because of yeah, Trump right. vitamins? Right, exactly. Trump supplements. <laughs> All right. I don't know what more there is to say about that. But there's been a bunch of other stuff going on. A part of it is these emails that have leaked out, and you you did a story yesterday in BuzzFeed from Colin Powell. How do the mm. Russians have Colin Powell's email? But it, but anyway, in this email, there are a bunch of interesting things, including that Colin Powell says Trump is a total disgrace. And he also says seems to say Donald Rumsfeld is a disgrace and he's mad at Hillary Clinton. <laughs> but first of all, how why are we reading Colin Powell's emails? Well, so the, I, I should point out that it's actually my colleague, Andrew Kaczynski, and his team that, that broke this news and have been going through these emails. But they originate with this weird website called DC Leaks, which has reported ties to the Russian government. Uh, it's unclear how exactly we got them, how like where where they're coming from. Now other news outlets are going through them as well. But you know, it, it, the puzzling thing to me is that if this is the Russians, and, and you know, there is a lot of stuff in in these emails. But it, it's it's weird because it actually seems like so far the contents that we've found and have reported on are more embarrassing for Donald Trump than they are for Hillary Clinton, yeah. uh, who has up till now seemed to be the primary target of these Russian Russian leaks. Well, the Russians may, their their perception of what, what helps who might be a little off. I mean, they are following from afar. What are, what are the ethics of, of uh, publishing these? I mean, you know, I'm someone who thought with the Sony hack, why are we helping the North Koreans accomplish their purpose by, you know, publishing this Hollywood gossip that this, that is damaging to this company. I mean, this is clearly has to do with public affairs. So maybe there's a there's a clear case. But this part of you think, you know, let's not help these guys do this. Yeah, no, I think I, I think that's a fair question. I think that, as you pointed out, there's a difference between Hollywood industry gossip and, you know, these emails. Some of them are like one of the exchanges was between Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell relitigating the Iraq war privately, taking shots at Rumsfeld and the Pentagon. Uh, you know, I think some of this stuff is pretty important, right? Uh, and it's important to have these things out there. At the same time, I don't think we should lose sight of what is ultimately the bigger story, which is that apparently the Russians are have managed to hack into highly sensitive uh, emails from public figures, important political leaders in our country, and are leaking them strategically to influence the United States presidential election. I mean, I don't want to sound, you know, overly preachy or anything, but like that is terrifying. That should terrify all of us. And I think that, you know, the contents of the election uh, of these emails are fair game. And I think that we, uh, as reporters, it's well within our rights to report on them. And I think voters can make their, you know, should should take them into account. But if they're making decisions about their votes based on what's in these emails, I think they need to factor in that context, which is that the Russians are leaking these with their own agenda in mind. And I think that that matters. And we in the press should maybe feel a little icky about helping Russia try to subvert American democracy in this particular way. 
Well, I think that I think it's a, in our case, it's about being transparent about where the emails are coming from and what's going on. And, and you know, so far in the stories that we've done, we have made clear the DC leaks, this website's ties to the Russian government. I think that those things need to be examined more, uh, and they should they should and will be examined. Uh, and I actually think that this question, which you guys have talked about already uh, on this podcast, is this question is going to go beyond this election. I think we need to figure out. There's a lot more questions to raise about the Russians' hacks and their leaks here, and and I think we'll be continuing this conversation for a long time. And on the topic of Colin Powell again, I assume he's going to endorse Hillary Clinton at some point, and they're just timing that endorsement for uh, maximum effect. Reading these emails, does it look to you like Powell's going to endorse Clinton? You know, I don't know. It, it certainly he has been annoyed by the Clinton campaign. The the email that we found that has gotten the most attention so far in this regard is complaining about what he calls Clinton's minions who are trying to drag him into the email controversy by pointing out that, uh, you know, he actually advised supposedly Hillary Clinton to do what she did with her emails. So, look, I, I think that what I detect is certain and certainly annoyance with the Clinton campaign and with Clinton. I don't know that that necessarily means that he won't endorse her. I've been in the same camp as you. I've assumed that, you know, sometime in October or something, he'll endorse her. Uh, but I guess we'll find out. October, non-surprise. The, uh, right. <laughs> uh, we're in the, the campaign sort of oscillated between kind of complacency that, that Hillary is going to win and Trump can't win and on the one hand. And then on the other hand, these sort of uh, Trump victory panics. And I think we're in we're, yeah. we're in one of these again now. There have been a couple polls that show the race tightening. Trump may be ahead in Ohio, you know, and suddenly everybody who was sort of not as worried is like really worried again that Trump could win. How do you assess it? <laughs> well, right. I mean, we have gone through these cycles of panic. I, I think that, you know, we shouldn't discount that possibility. But there are a couple things to keep in mind. I mean, I mean look, 538 has the race right now. Uh, Clinton has a 66% chance of winning. Uh, the Washington Post just came out with an analysis, which I thought was interesting, which was if you look at the 10 states that are closest in the polls, so the, you'll say these are the 10 closest battleground states. Uh, for Clinton to win, she needs to win 14 of the electoral votes available in those 10 states. <laughs> For Trump to win, he needs to win 116 electoral votes. Right. So that that should give you a sense that, you know, we should certainly don't be complacent, whoever you're voting for. But I still think that this is an uphill battle for, for Trump. Trump could win the he could win the popular vote and lose the Electoral College. I mean, the Electoral College does seem to favor the Democrats this time. Yes, absolutely. And and has recently for a while. I, I, I do, though, think that the panic is real and I've done some reporting on that, even within the Republican Party. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you about, McKay, is uh, there's a piece that came out today in Newsweek or on Newsweek uh, by Kurt Eichenwald, who's a really good investigative reporter who did a deep dive into Trump business world. And I haven't even read the whole thing yet, but but it's being billed as kind of a bombshell. Do you think this story is going to be a big deal? Well, it's gotten a lot of, of play in the media Today, I, I, from what I've seen in the piece, and I haven't read it as closely as maybe some others have, but from what I've seen, there is some new information. I don't think any one piece of information is a, a kind of massive bombshell or a smoking gun in terms of corruption. The, the piece says right at the top that they have not found any evidence of illegal activity by the Trump organization. That said, the, the point that, that the piece raises, and I think this is an important one, is that as long as Trump and his kids are connected to this company, 
if he becomes president, virtually every foreign policy decision that he makes will have a potential conflict of interest. I mean, his organization, his company is so entangled in so many different foreign governments and foreign entities that he would have to be faced in every every decision he makes with questions about whether he wants to do something that is in the country's best interest or in his company's best interest. And I think that that is a, a question worth considering. So if the Clinton Foundation is a problem, this is like 10 times the problem. Well, well, right. And that's what's so fascinating, right? The Clinton Foundation has gotten so much attention, and I think that it deserves scrutiny. But this, the Trump Organization is a for-profit company. And when you ask the Trumps what they're going to do with this, it, he doesn't have a good answer. He says that his his ki- first, he said his kids were going to run the company if he becomes president. Then he, his, Ivanka went on TV and said, oh, we're going to put it in a blind trust. Well, that, <laughs> that actually doesn't make sense. You can't put a whole company in a blind trust, right? So I, it's really, I mean, I think these are important questions worth raising. And hopefully this, this Newsweek investigation kicks off more coverage on the, the, that issue. McKay, uh, keep up the good work and thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you. That's it for today's show. You know, we're all insecure about something. Jason DeLeon is my producer. He's insecure about today's show. Steve Lichtai is insecure about all of Slate's shows. Andy Bowers is insecure about his title of chief content officer. It sounds like he locks up the content when he goes home for the night. John Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. I think he's insecure about his Mike Pence impression. I don't think he can do one. I'm Jacob Weisberg. I'm insecure about whether these gimmicky outros are even funny. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Tony Schwartz has something wrong with him. Here's a problem. I mean, let's face it. All he did was spend two years with me, seven days a week. That's it. Seven days a week for two years. The guy acts like he knows who I am. What has Tony Schwartz done, really? I mean, I think he created the Brady Bunch. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.